graphic design thinking but don't know where to start, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to Design Thinking and A to Z, a year-long series of bite-sized, real-life examples, do's and don'ts, tried and tested techniques to get help get you started. I'm Lucy Patterson, a workshop facilitator, business strategist and trainer who uses design thinking to help organisations solve problems and make better business decisions. And I'm Tracy Sharp, a former designing engineering director turned mentor and coach that uses design thinking principles to help others design a new life with purpose. We are two Northern Lasses with a passion for design thinking for your business, your projects and for your life. And today is brought to you by the letter X, where we will be finding out whether X really does mark the spot or not by explaining a little bit more about the defined stage of the design thinking process. So one of the essential aspects of design thinking is ensuring that you are solving the right problem. And I do want to talk a little about uh, what can happen if you don't really properly consider the design stage. And in this fast paced capitalist world we live in, it is really easy just to try and give up, uh, to keep up with what the competition is doing. And I'm very aware that this is something that some companies do really well and they can be very successful in it. And it can be really tempting, especially if you're in a company which is growing and trying to make its presence felt on shelf just to recreate what product you've developed and add a new button or make it go faster or make it like look bigger. But this is not necessarily what will bring you success. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so often companies seem to sort of fall into the trap of assuming that they know what the customer needs without actually understanding the customer's true pain points. I mean, who wants a blender to blend faster if your actual problem with the blender is it doesn't have a large enough capacity to make yours and your other halves morning smoothie at the same time? Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. And like I, I do have, yeah, you know, I have been in projects which we we smashed through it we and we did a faster blender because we felt like that's what people would want but it wasn't what they wanted it's like it's, it's not really what people kind of care about so so this is fully understanding your client base how they think what they feel and what the main issue that they have to solve the real problem that they have is not only key to innovation, but also the key to product adoption and customer retention. I mean, this defined part of the process is definitely the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. So let's lay the groundwork for our listeners. And before um, diving into defining the problem, you need to understand and observe the current situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to give you some context about what needs to be done beforehand, you have to understand and observe the current situation. And then you have to really synthesize, meaning to organize, interpret and make sense of the data that you have gathered to create a problem statement. And a great definition of your problem statement will guide you and your team's work and kickstart the ideation process in the right direction. It will bring about clarity and focus to the design stage, uh, to design space. Now, we've already covered two fantastic tools to help you define the problem area. So please go back and have a listen. Or if you have already listened, go back and have another listen to episodes. H is for how might we and S is for storytelling. We also mentioned a technique called laddering in Q is for questions episode, which is really helpful to explore other potential avenues. So what other awesome tools have you got in your facilitation war chest that for this topic then, Lucy? War chest? 
Well, glad you're with Lucy and <laughs> uh, Tracy. <laughs> One fantastic tool that we've already given um, an episode of its own to is the five whys. Um, and this technique involves asking why repeatedly to dig deeper into the root cause of a problem. And it helps uncover sort of the layers of issues that you might not have initially recognised. And it's a powerful tool for peeling back the layers of a problem like an onion. And it really helps you get to the core of the issue. So I do think that that deserves another mention. Mm -hmm. But another tool I absolutely love is empathy mapping. And this one is all about understanding your user on a deeper level. So you create a visual representation of what your user thinks, what they feel, what they say and what they do. And it's like stepping into their shoes and seeing the world from their perspective, at least for the purpose of their interaction with your product or service and how and where that fits within their daily lives. So if I give you an example that you might be able to relate to, because Many of us these days use some kind of fitness device, wearable app, or, you know, we, we use an app to track how healthy we are and ideally use that app to then make improvements that support our overall longevity and well-being. So last year, I worked with a fitness app creator, um, let's call them FitLife, um, and this particular um, fitness app has been on the market a few years, and it allows users to track their workouts, monitor their nutrition, and set fitness goals. The company behind the app noticed a decline in user engagement and that they were starting to see some negative reviews about the app's usability. And, you know, once you get a negative review online, we all know how sort of viral they can go. So they basically called me in and sort of we worked together to help them figure out why this was. So their challenge was essentially to better understand why users were becoming disengaged and they needed to revamp their app to enhance that overall user experience. And we used empathy mapping to be able to do this. So first up, we assembled a team and we pulled together a cross-functional group of people that included designers, developers, customer support reps, product managers. And in this particular case, we went for a larger than normal group to ensure that we had the diversity required to gain that broad and true perspective. Tasks were then broken down within the team and between them. And with facilitation support, they conducted surveys. They did one-on-one -on -one interviews and they observed user interactions with the app. And they did this so that they could actually collect relevant, up-to-date, truthful and real-life data regarding the pain points, the behaviours and the emotional responses of their app users. This allowed us to then create an empathy map. So if you've not used an empathy map before, you can create one with a ready-made template in Miro or Mural or a similar, similar software. Or you can simply grab a sheet of paper or the nearest wall if you're allowed to write on your walls <laughs> and divide it into four quadrants. Okay, so each quadrant then focuses on a different aspect of the user's experience. So quadrant one would be about thinking. What are the user's thoughts, fears, and aspirations when using the app? So are they worried about not losing weight? Are they aspiring to be as fit as the celeb that used to promote the app? Or are they scared of developing a health complaint or an illness? So quadrant two, we would move on to feeling. So what emotions do they experience? Are they frustrated? Are they motivated? Are they overwhelmed? So maybe they're happy they've taken steps to address their well-being. Or maybe they're feeling all the feelings and they're kind of unsure where to start or what to focus on first. We move on to quadrant three, which is seeing. 
So what does the physical um, environment look like when they use their app? Are they at home, at the gym? Are they out on the go somewhere? So, you know, if they're at the gym, are others using the app that they aspire to be or to look like? Or is it more of a status symbol that, you know, simply shows they're in the know when it comes to new tech and lifestyle? And how does it need to fit within their particular environment of choice? And then finally, on to quadrant four, which is about the doing. So what options do they actually take while interacting with the app? What are their routines? Are they wanting to integrate the app? Um, you know, the use of the app into their routine from the moment they wake, you know, to make sure they're getting enough steps or they're drinking enough water, or are they just wanting to actually measure the impact of a workout at the time of actually working out, you know, with little consideration as to whether they spend the, the rest of the day at desks at entry or not. And I mean, that's a lot to consider, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I want to jump in here and make a quick comment about this tool, because I think you have to keep these quadrants in mind when you're doing the interviews. So like when you're collecting this data, when you're designing the the um, the questionnaires or the, the format of how you're going to gather this information. What what do you think about that, Lucy? I do think I think it's we always kind of say, and I think a, a, a sort of a phrase I've used quite, re- quite regularly throughout the podcast is have a plan, but only hold it lightly. Because I think, yes, you're very right. You do need to keep these quadrants in mind when you're doing the interviews and the research steps. But if you have them too far at the front of your sort of consciousness, if you like, you can sometimes overlook what is actually being presented to you because you're so focused on just pulling out particular pieces. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, but... I mean, anyway, long long story short, um, by adding this kind of empathy, this kind of info um, into their empathy map, um, then this particular company were able to identify common patterns, themes, and pain points, and that would be the same for any organisation. You would just use empathy mapping to identify the patterns, to look at what the themes are, to look at where your customers are struggling, and as a result of um, what did I call the, the company? Fit Life, I think, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> As a result, um, FitLife discovered three main things. So firstly, many users were simply overwhelmed by the abundance of features and data they could access in the app. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they didn't understand how to use the features or the data to make improvements and tweaks to the lifestyles and actions. And finally, they were just frustrated by the lack of personalised guidance um, and that the app couldn't or didn't make suggestions as to what these tweaks that they could make could actually be. So the insight from this empathy mapping process meant they were able to then make several strategic benefits, uh, several strategic changes rather, um, to the app that actually benefited everyone. And and what were they? Uh, They simplified the app's interface, so they made it less cluttered and more intuitive. They incorporated a personalised recommendation, um, basically a system based on users' fitness goals and progress, which provided the user with a tailored workout and with suggested nutrition plans. And then they added an in-app coaching session, which was led by certified fitness trainers to guide through sort of users through the workouts and to answer any questions that the users might have. And essentially implementing these changes saw a massive improvement in user engagement and satisfaction. The app's ratings and the reviews improved and the retention rate started to increase again. So simply by using empathy mapping, and I say simply, but you can see from the process that I've just walked you through that it takes time and energy and there's plenty of research and planning to get it right. They began to understand their users better. 
They transform their app into a more user-centric and effective tool for achieving fitness goals. And the very fact that they added in um, the in-app coaching that allowed users to ask questions meant that they actually became more aware of future areas they could improve on. So they basically embedded the empathy mapping process into their app by using the app to collect the data they required for ongoing empathy mapping via this whole ability for users to ask in questions. And this is why I love design thinking, because when it's done well, and when you do embed it, and when you do sort of use appropriate follow through and implementation, it can be transformational, but it can also support iterative improvements and iterative innovation too. And I mean, you know, we could we could both go on and we could sort of explain more um, options and tools, you know, your space, saturate and group, um, also known as your affinity diagrams or, you know, the creation of a point of view statement. Um, because essentially what you're doing during this defined stage of the design thinking process is exactly that. You are defining your point of view. But I mean, I'm sure in your time as a design engineer, Tracy, you must have seen this kind of, you know, this type of defining process in action too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we, we had a chat offline as well. And, and so I think like on reflection, it's definitely something that could be done better. And I still and I still believe this. Um, and I, I work for a lot of businesses that were taking feedback very literally um, or like making assumptions. And I saw the negative impact of this, of not going deep enough um, with the, la- the lack of subsequent um, new releases. Basically, we would work our socks off on a new thing, it would go in the market, it would absolutely flop. And so um, what I kind of reflected on was like, I actually saw more like kind of um, em- not not empathy mapping or using the empathy mapping tool, but using the principles in the marketing team and right. rather than the design teams. As I think with many companies, there isn't enough emphasis on taking the time to us understand the customer and in my current role, like I'm, I'm mentoring businesses and I see this, I see that this is a hole that companies fall into a lot about just listening as opposed to understanding the thoughts and the feelings. So, you know, instead of doing empathy maps, um, the companies I work for were looking at like maybe the Amazon reviews or online reviews in minute detail and sort of definitely sharing about that. So, but in that kind of context, people are not always sharing how they feel, but they are sort of sharing their frustration. So we would, but that meant that we would solve that frustration. So it would just be like, oh, we have a problem with this. So therefore we'll do that. And I really think that having a little bit more care and actually like properly implemented design thinking could have really served more. And I think that some companies are just running too fast. And they are, okay, I think we talked about this offline as well, that it is, um, some people are just copying other people, they're just copying what they're doing. But if you want to really innovate, and it could just be like, it could just be something that's on the UI, it could just be something like that changes the, the customer experience. But if you are not going into those four quadrants, as you mentioned, about the thoughts and the feelings, and like the, the actions, then and you're just paying attention to what people are saying then you aren't getting the full spectrum of what else is really going on. Yeah. I mean, I guess we all know, you know, when it comes to even just everyday communication, that what someone says 
is it's something I don't even know what the stats are, but it's it's some crazy amount, like it's 20% what they say, but it's 80% what they're actually doing and their yeah. their body yes. language and such like. And you know, I'm sure someone will correct me with those stats, but I do know that, you know, there's a the big discrepancy and that people are therefore you can plug into that by using empathy mapping. Yeah. And I guess that sort of leads me to what would be my next question would be sort of it disappoints me that that's not used more, you know, or as well as it could be, as effectively it could, as it could be within a, within a corporate and within what I would look at to be an innovative design sector. But within your current coaching work, do you use empathy mapping to understand clients better or, you know, to help them become more self-aware or to identify the changes they need to make or at least sort of the, you know, the ideas and the actions they need to sort of prototype um, to be able to achieve their goals? Um, I don't use the empathy mapping tool specifically, um, but I am taking the themes. I am actually sort of like lifting the themes that are in the empathy mapping for the four quadrants. So um, so I'm using that to structure the, the session and then also to be able to ask the right questions. So, you know, I'm focusing a lot about understanding what people are um, thinking, what they see in their day to day lives to understand their, their perspective. And I and I generally will will ask about how things make people feel. Um, and of course, like co- coaching is all about the doing and the action. So like focusing about feelings and thoughts in the, in the moment, like really helps you kind of get to the point of understanding themselves and their motivations. So if you're, if you're really digging into that kind of empathy, so it's like, no, it works in two ways. Like not only as me as a coach is having empathy for them in the moment, but then they're also having empathy for themselves. And so that way that they'll really start to understand and be able to kind of piece together um, connections in their mind and kind of help to join the dots. But like we we do actually cover quite a lot about this um, and this and these kind of principles in another episode, um, which is O is for observe. So please go and check that out and you'll learn a lot about how we do that and how we can reflect back to to people. Really just feels that we've gotten to this sort of X stage and we have covered one hell of a lot. I keep we keep referencing past um you know past episodes and I keep thinking, wow, yes, we we've covered oh. a lot of ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we really have. But all that ground covered. Um, as ever, we're always opening to hearing your thoughts and connecting. So feel free to seek us out on LinkedIn, myself, Lucy Patterson, and my podcasting partner in crime, Tracy Shaw. So if you've got any questions or queries, please feel free to email us at designthinkingaz at gmail.com. We are always happy to answer them and to signpost you towards any of the resources mentioned during our podcast. And thank you for those who have already reached out. We're already kind of having conversations with you and we really appreciate it. Yeah, loving the conversations that are happening at the moment, actually. Yeah. But uh, please do join us next time when it will be the penultimate episode for this season of a beginner's guide to design thinking A to Z and we'll have reached the letter Y because obviously that's the penultimate um, letter in the mm-hmm. alphabet. Um, so with a bit of artistic license, Y is actually Y for your life and your business and more specifically, how you can use design thinking to improve them. So we'll catch you then. Catch you then. Bye.